Today, we're talking to Ben Baker, a communications specialist, who's going to let you into the inside secret of why your business is only as good as your unhappiest employee on their worst day. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hi, welcome to The Thinking Leader. Today, we have a fantastic guest for you. It is Ben Baker, CEO of Your Brand Marketing. He's a strategic communications specialist who focuses on change management and internal communications. Bryce, say hello to our guest. Hello, Ben. Welcome to the show. Hey, Bryce. Thank you guys both very much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. I, I love listening to this as I go for long walks. So you guys are doing a great job. Excellent. Thanks, Ben. You know, one of the things that, that we've been talking about on the show, as you know, recently is how important communications are, how important conversations are. Yeah. We, with one of our recent guests, Rose Fast, made the excellent point that there's no such thing as a casual conversation anymore at work. That every time that you're interacting, there's meaning there, there's risk there, there's opportunity there. And one of the things that you focus on in your work is internal communications. And I, I, I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about why you think internal communications are so important in organizations. Well, it's really an interesting thing because the challenge is we do a pretty good job communicating our value outside of companies. You know, there's whole marketing departments, you have a sales team, you have a customer experience team, you have everybody that's sitting there focused on sitting there going, this is our value to our customers. Right. The problem is we don't take the same time, effort, and resources to let our own people know, our own internal customers know, A, what's going on, what the value is, what our goals are, and why those goals are important. And if those people are not bought in, if they're not singing the same tune, it's really hard to get customers on the outside really excited about your organization. That makes sense. And, and you know, it it's so true now, too, when each of your employees, each of the members of your organization, whether you want them to be or not, is a brand ambassador. They're going home. They're on social media. They're talking to, to people. Their voices are magnified, too. So it would seem that that even increases the stakes, if you will, in terms of making sure that your employees are engaged and are, and are aligned with your values. Yeah, it's, a, it's important to think about that. One of the first things I talk to CEOs about is your brand is only as valuable as your unhappiest employee on their worst day. <laughs> Love that. You know, yeah. If you think about that, that your brand is only as you know valuable as your unhappiest employee on their worst day, it's a really good place to start because those are your brand ambassadors. If somebody picks up the phone for the first time and calls you and wants to do business with you and they're excited about you because they've, you know, they've seen your marketing and they've you know, read about you, they've seen you on social media, whatever, and they go and talk to a real person in your company, 
and that person is curt or grumpy or unhelpful or whatever, all of a sudden you've lost any of that brand equity that you ever had. It's so fragile, isn't it? It, it can literally disappear when, with one sentence or one outburst from one of your employees. And it's, it's, it's fascinating how we're talking about the external effort we put into communications versus the internal lack of effort and these these sort of corporate stovepipes that we so often see within organizations. And especially when you're doing change management, the number one feedback we often get is the lack of communication about what's going on. And that ties in very much so, as you'll be aware, the three C's we talk about, that, that initial C of clarity. And if the internal employee doesn't have that clarity of what is actually happening, where they fit into that bigger piece of the puzzle, then that's where you start to get people dissenting, detracting, and disengaging, which is a toxic circle once you get into that maneuver. And we see so many examples of this. I mean, it's not just online or, or over the telephone. It's in person, too, yeah. as, as you know, at, at retail settings, you know, and stuff like this. And, you know, it's 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 hard to imagine. I mean, you know, we, we record these episodes a couple of weeks in advance. But right now, uh, it's hard to imagine a Twitter employee having a good engagement uh, with uh, with a customer. Oh, my God. When they're when they're being, you know, for all intents and purposes, lashed uh, by the captain of the of of, of the uh, uh, pirate ship to row faster, you know, <laughs> it's uh, oh, you'll be well, keel. You don't even have to go as far as Twitter. I mean, that's that's yeah. an extreme situation. I mean, right. If you're looking at the extreme situations, yes, the Elon mess, the Twitters, but let's take something from last night, for example. The local shopping mall that I go to has um, our local television, uh, sorry, our local cable company has a, has a retail outlet there. Mm -hmm. And I had a remote control that I no longer needed. It was a brand new remote. Didn't work. Fine. You know, what do I do with this? I mean, oh, I'll just take the remote back to them. I have to go to the mall anyway. And I get there and it takes me 15 minutes to get a parking spot. I fight my way through the mall because they're at the very far end of the mall. And I finally walk in and I get this friendly, hi, how are you? I said, good. I says, I've got this remote. I don't need it anymore. Um, I just want to give it to you. Well, we can't take it here. <laughs> he, and he passes yeah. me this piece of paper and he says, well, you need to mail it to these people. And I'm sitting there going, hang on a second here. I've just, you know, fought to get a parking spot, fought through the mall. And this thing goes, well, there's nothing I can do. I said, oh, interesting. And I just dropped the, the remote control on his desk, said, whoops, and walked away. I guess I forgot. <laughs> exactly that. I love that. You know, what you just mentioned there is one of my biggest pet peeves, Ben, which is companies that make their problems their customers' problem. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's lack of empowerment. Right. Totally. It's, exactly. Why is he asking you, what can I do? He should know. The employee should have that ability to make a decision, take exactly. the required action that's going to make you happy, especially having seen what you've done to get to that point and not just choose to throw it in the garbage. You know, you chose to do the right thing. And then you get there and you're affronted by that behavior. What are you going to think? And I actually asked him, Marcus, I says, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just take this out? To the ball? there's a garbage can right over there. I can put it in the garbage can if you want. He says, well, I really don't want you to do that. And I said, oh, okay. And so I just dropped it on the desk and walked yeah. out. And this guy had this incredulous look on his face as I right. did it. Um, yeah. But why is this my problem as a customer? 
and he is poor as a poor employee. And I do, I feel bad for him as an employee. He is given no empowerment and no ability and no training to be able to deal with a situation like that. Well, and to me, the, the, the most graphic example of this, and I come back to this, I've talked about this before. Marcus is sick of me talking about it, but I'm going to bring it up again because it so perfectly aligns with what you're talking about is the United Airlines incident a few years ago Mm -hmm. where the doctor was beaten and pulled off the plane because he refused to give up his seat to a United Airlines employee who needed to get to another flight. And he was a doctor who needed to get back to treat a patient and was already in his seat. And that the failure there, yeah, there's a failure there at, at a high level in terms of having policies that prioritize the company's problem over the customer's problem. But the biggest problem I would wager is that United had given no power, no authority to the frontline manager at the gate to look at the situation and to say, right, I understand this is the policy, but I can see with my own eyes now that this is spiraling out of control. And that, you know, maybe the point where where four guys with billy clubs are getting onto the plane to to deal with your customer who's not caused a disturbance, paid full fare for their seat, already buckled in, is the point where you want to intervene and use your judgment, your common sense judgment as a frontline leader to say, you know what, let's figure out another solution here. Yeah. Instead of to, to, instead of a the, the ethical thing of you know beating this poor guy up and dragging him bloodied off the plane, but also the business thing of losing hundreds of millions of dollars in shareholder value as people film this with their cell phone cameras, and and that's why I, I say that today, you know, and I love what you said about you know your your brand's only as good as as your worst employee on their bad day, you know today, it's these frontline employees that that are the ones that represent for your brand and if you don't have them engaged if you if you're just kind of you know keeping them in the dark and telling them to do what they're told that's the inevitable consequence you're going to have of it at some scale companies are not taking that into consideration it says okay you know we can save 10 million dollars by not training our people properly right great that's 10 million dollars to the bottom line what about the 50 or $100 million it's going to cost yeah. you in PR, in lost sponsorship, in opportunity, and whatever? Because all of a sudden, that you know, United Airlines and other you know, situations just like that are spread over social media because everybody's got a camera today. And nobody's afraid to all of a sudden to hit record because everybody wants to be on TMZ. Everybody yeah. wants to sell their stuff to CNN or Fox or whoever. And, you know, those news stations are more than happy to pay for it. So companies have to realize that every single employee is either a PR nightmare or a PR helper. Right. And every single employee has the ability to be a champion for your brand and show your brand in the best light. But you need to train them. You need to empower them. You have to believe in them. And you have to give them guidelines and let let them do what, what makes sense instead of thou shalt do because this is company policy. That comes back to the whole focus of what we're really about, isn't it, Bryce, is engaging and empowering people. You know, we talk about we've we've become so consumed with technology over the last 20 years and the processes that go with that that we've kind of forgotten the sort of lead singer of that trio, people. And the lack of now quality training, the quality enablement of people has become an afterthought. And 
alongside this technology, we are seeing training done via technology. So your online portals, your LinkedIn learning, you know, your 30 minute online video that is substantial training for your individual. And, and it's not, it's not good enough. And therefore people are becoming disappointed, disenfranchised by that and feeling that they're second rate. They're like, well, why are we spending all this money on X? And then on the stuff that's really important, we get 10 cents. And the impact of that is hugely visible in the outcome. Absolutely. And, you know, when you were talking, Ben, about enabling those frontline decision makers, that goes to the core of, of, of what red team thinking is all about and the origins of red teaming in the U.S. military. Because one of the things, one of the epiphanies that some of the, the general staff in the U.S. Army had when they were standing up the, the red teaming program was that, and I, I had long conversations about this with, with General Bob Brown, who was the commander at the Command and General Staff College mm -hmm. when I was there in 2015, is this idea that empowering your decision, your leaders at every level to make decisions for themselves, to think for themselves, could be as powerful a game changer on the battlefield as any wonder weapon or new technology, if not more so. And the one of the examples that he pointed to, which a lot of people are familiar with, is you know the story that was told in, in Band of Brothers about Easy Company in, in the 101st Airborne in Normandy, and how you know when they dropped in, like most parachute you know units that were dropped on 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 the night before uh, June 6, 1944. They didn't land anywhere near their target. They were scattered. You know, the whole plan, the whole thing that they were told to do was out the window. Oh, in a but matter of seconds. In a matter of seconds. Yeah. But they were empowered. They knew, they had been trained that if that happens, use this weapon right here. Mm -hmm. And so the commander of Easy Company, you know, got whatever men he could find together and he you know, quickly ascertained that, you know, uh, that uh, uh, this is uh, Major Richard Winters, that he quickly ascertained that the mission that they had been sent on, which I think was to, to take a crossroads and hold it or something like that, was not doable. They weren't anywhere near there and stuff. But they could see these German guns pounding the beaches, you know, which were, you know, now that, that, that the, the, the Allied troops were landing, were pounding the beaches. And they said, right, well, what we could do is take out those guns. And that would be a completely different mission, but it would be a valuable mission and it would help our guys on the beaches. Yeah. And so, you know, without asking for permission, without, you know, looking at che his orders. Checking in with high command to checking make sure in with that high it's command. okay for us to go left. Yes. Right. Major winners just get, you know, came up with a plan and assaulted those guns, famously took them out, you know, probably saved a lot of lives on the beaches. That is still taught at West Point, our, our military academy. Because of two things, it, 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 it shows this adapt and overcome mindset, but it also shows the, the ability of a, of a you know, mid-level leader to, to, on their own initiative, using their own head to make a decision in the moment that's the right thing to do without having to ask for permission. And you contrast this, they teach it in contrast too, to the German high command, which were undoubtedly much better strategic thinkers than major winners and knew what they needed to do, 
but were sitting holding their their armored divisions back in reserve because no one was willing to go and wake Hitler mm-hmm. to get permission to to send them to the beachhead. And Hitler had deluded him. We we had succeeded in deluding Hitler into thinking that the invasion was a feint. And so even though his commanders knew it wasn't and wanted to to rush their armored divisions to to the beach, they had to sit and lose the better part of a day waiting for him to come to that realization. Whereas Major Winters didn't wait for anybody. He just right. made a decision. And that's that was, you know, one of the things that, that General Brown told me is that if we could teach all of our officers to think like Major Winters, that is a tremendous competitive advantage over our adversaries. Because he, as he put it to me, he says, we are blessed by the fact that all of our adversaries have a totalitarian mindset where they don't enable, enable lower ranking people to think for themselves. That's true in the military. It's true in business too. Well, it's also setting up listening posts. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be able to be resilient. You need to be adaptable and you need to be creative. But in order to do that, in order to be able to adapt on the fly, to be able to, you know, oversee and overcome, you need to be able to listen and be able to sit there and say, wait a second, this isn't working. You know, this isn't working. All right, let's stop. Let's figure it out. Why? And that why could be 10 seconds. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 10 hours, whatever. But you need to sit there and figure out why mm-hmm. this happened and then be able to move forward, be, be able to build a new plan and move forward. And by teaching people the ability to say it's okay to take that pause. It's okay right. to take that pause and actually think like a human being and not just be treated like an automaton, not be human capital that people just sit there and say, okay, you're an interchangeable piece of Lego. And if you don't do what I say, I'm going to fire you. and I'm going to get somebody else to do it. You know, I'm hiring you because I, I trust you. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you the ability to think, do it. And I think that that's what needs to be baked into culture from senior leadership all the way down and enable people to actually think on their feet and act accordingly. You nailed it, Ben. It It's this perspective, though, of thinking is not working. Mm-hmm. People dare not take the time to be not seen to be working, not seen to be busy, because sitting, thinking, sitting, deliberating, questioning is often perceived as, what are you doing? You're not working. Mm-hmm. Where actually that, that concept and that mantra we use a lot of slow down to speed up actually makes you work far more effectively. The outcomes are far more efficient because you took that time. You weren't rushing into things. You weren't reacting blindly. You were taking the time to have that moment of mindfulness, as you said, 10 minutes, 10 seconds, 10 hours, all relevant given the context. But by doing that, you and those around you have taken that time to communicate, which is what this is all about, to understand, to listen to the different inputs from left and right of you, below and above, then assess, do the analysis, and then make that decision where you step forward next, rather than blindly stepping off and walking into a machine gun post or off a cliff. But I think, as you said, it's got to be a shift in mindset from the top because we still see, I call it the cosh of speed. Everybody you talk to is under the cosh of speed. It's the number one metric, and it's the number one thing that everybody is measuring themselves to because that's what is measured on from above. Well, let's go back to Mr. Musk. I mean, let's, let's, you know, <laughs> yes. let's go back to Elon with, with it Twitter. Mm-hmm. It, it, you have to. I mean, we, you know, we're at that time of the year and we, we have to deal with this. But 
he just fired a whole bunch of people based on number of lines of code that they had produced within X amount of time. I can't remember right. if it was three months, six months, a year, but they went in back, they looked at an algorithm and said, okay, if you haven't produced X amount of lines of code, you're fired. Here's the thing. You're rewarding sloppy, bloated code. Right. You know, the, peop yeah. the people that don't know how to program well, the people that just sit there and are, no offense, the code monkeys that are just putting this sloppy, bloated code together mm -hmm. are getting rewarded. While the people who actually sit there and say, wait a second here, what are we really trying to do? Let's map this out. Let's figure it out. Let's, let's actually sit there and then create this, you know, elegant, simple code that can do in 200 lines what somebody yeah. else might take in 2,000 exactly. lines. Quality are over being quantity. fired. And yeah. what sense does that make in any company? And what message does it send? And, and that's the thing is, you know, now you're getting into another one of my pet peeves, which is which is measuring the wrong things mm -hmm. and 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 blindly using metrics uh, as a simple way of of quote unquote leading rather than thinking. And there's so many examples of this in business, you know, where people come up with these arbitrary systems to make business decisions. And they, and, and they never work. You know, one of my, one of my, one of my favorite, because it's my least favorite is forced ranking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so many companies where forced ranking has been an absolute debacle, but I think the biggest one has been Microsoft was Microsoft when they implemented it, you know, and, but, but I, I know more about what happened when Ford implemented it in the early two thousands. And, you know, you get a situation where you have 12 great people on your team. And you've got one guy who's, you know, not a great engineer, you know, but 11 gals and guys who are doing a phenomenal job. But you've got to, you got to force rank them. So now you, the, you've got to put a third of them as underperforming. Okay. Well, you got the one guy, that's not a problem, but now you, now you, now you've got to get three others who are underperforming. But, Whether they are or they're not, but there aren't any. There aren't three others that are underperforming. Exactly. So you 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 agonize as a frontline manager and come up with your three, and and then you have to identify four that are that are outstanding. Well, you've got a couple who are better than everyone else, but most of them are pretty good. So now you have to arbitrarily pick two out of the out of the the evens to elevate. And what happens is well. A, you just lost three great engineers because the, the ones on the bottom are going to get piked. And you just destroyed the morale of, of the eight that you have left mm -hmm. because now everyone's like, why, why was she, you know, rated above me when I did just as good? Why was he rated below me when he does just as good as the rest of us? You know, and it just destroys morale and it destroys talent. And it's a substitute for actually leading. Well, and here's, let's take that to another level with sales departments. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a sales guy who brings in top dollar, you know, the, right. the top line dollars are huge. They're enormous top line dollars, but he creates chaos or she creates chaos in their wake. Mm. You know, operations yeah. is scrambling. Procurement is scrambling. Shipping is scrambling. Uh, the timelines are tight. The, the, the jobs are impossible. The person just sits there and goes, look, 
not my problem. I'm selling this. You figure it out. And all of a sudden, those great top line numbers become these minuscule little bottom line numbers once all the additional costs are built in. But that person gets huge commissions. Their boss gets huge commissions. Mm -hmm. The leadership gets their, you know, sees the share price go up and therefore their bonus checks go up. So that person is rewarded time and time again for creating chaos and people are quitting left, right and center Mm-hmm. because of the you know the actions of this person but they're seen as a top salesperson where somebody else may be doing three quarters the amount of money that this person is doing but it's far more profitable it's far more aligned with the business units it's far you know the timelines are more reasonable but they're not getting rewarded as well because they're not bringing in the, the same top you know yeah. top line numbers it ties back to the busyness, doesn't it? And the big numbers that people are seduced by, you know, technology, big numbers, people looking busy. Three mm-hmm. things that every, I won't use the word leader, every senior manager looks for in their team. And if you tick those three boxes, you're top of that bell curve mm-hmm. because that's what they want to see. People play the game and give them that. But as we say, you know, what they don't see is the wake left behind them of an absolute mess and disenfranchised people, reduced cost, you know, because of the mess they've made and people leaving because of that superstar or perceived superstar who seems to be getting away with it constantly. And there's nothing worse for somebody to see those behaviors supported than chastised because that's the easiest way to demoralize your teams and drop the morale. I agree. It's a great conversation. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we will continue it. In today's complex world, organizations need to focus on innovation, adaptive leadership, and people engagement. And to do that, they need to enable psychological safety and build trust. And in doing so, that encourages diversity of thought and allows you to engage critical thinking. But how do you do all that? That's why we created the Red Team Thinking Bootcamp, a workshop that teaches you about the mindset required, along with some tools and techniques that you can start using right away. So December the 13th is the next session. Go to redteamthinking.com, click on training, and hopefully we'll see you then. Welcome back. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Ben, and a lot of what you're talking about comes down to making it clear to your employees, to your team members, what what their focus should be, what they what they what sh- they should be prioritizing, what's important and what's not important. How do you how do you do that in an organization in your mind? I think a lot of it comes down to the the you know to use an overused phrase that starts with why. Um, you know, God God bless Simon Sinek. My favorite quest, my favorite word in the English language is Marcus. It is. I mean, you really want yeah. to get down to it. Ask a six-year-old. So what's what's the question that they're going to ask over and over again? Why? Every why? Time. Why? It's the five whys. Why are we doing this in the first place? You know, when I when I'm sitting down with a client and we're talking about a major change management, the first question I ask them is, why are we doing this in the first place? Yep. And I get these looks of panic in my eyes. I was going to say, how many answers do you get? I get, I get panic. I, I truly yeah. and absolutely get panic. I'm like, seriously, let's. Why are we doing this? What are we tr- going to achieve that you can't achieve now by doing this? And what will that enable you to do that you can't do now? 
And when people are clear on that, change is easy. Because if you can communicate the why behind the what, people will figure out the how. People, if they have to go through the wall, they'll go through the Mm -hmm. wall. If they have to go over it, they'll go over it. If they have to go under it, they'll go under it. It doesn't really matter. As long as we sit there and say, that's the promised land. That's that's the hill we're trying to climb. And we need to get there because of this. And when people are bought into that, when people understand what it means not only to the company, but to them personally, and they're invested in it, it's amazing the things that happen. Just pre-COVID, I had a customer come up to me and said, we were come up with a new slogan. I said, great. What's your new slogan? 20 and 2020. I go, okay, what does that mean? Well, we <laughs> want to re- we want to make $20 million in 2020. And I said, why? Well, it's a nice round number. <laughs> well, what's it going to do? Well, we're going to make more money. Well, how does it help your people? You know, why should they rally behind this? What What's in it for them if you reach $20 million? And I started getting blank look after blank look after blank look after blank would. look. And I said, it's nice to have these slogans. It's nice to have these pithy, you know, ideas. But if there isn't a reason why you're doing something, why are we doing it in the first place? Yeah. And I think that that's what organizations need to do because if when everybody in the organization has been communicated to them in their own language, why we're, why we're jumping over that hill, how it's going to benefit the company and how you're important as an individual to get us over that hill, then getting over that hill is easy. Well, it's like, you know, we talked about the example of Easy Company on, on, on June 6, 1944. That's what winners did. Mm-hmm. He he looked at what the why was. The why why were we assigned to to hold this crossroads? It was to make things easier for the guys on the beach. It, mm-hmm. You know the crossroads is important. We're hold, we were supposed to hold it to keep German reinforcements from getting to the beach. Well, if our why is to make things easier for the guys on the beach, then we just find some other way to make things easier for the guys on the beach. Taking out those guns would also make things easier for the guys on the beach. But your story, which I love, about the the twenty in twenty twenty. Reminds me of a, of a great story from, from Alan Mulally when he was CEO of Ford, his first visit to General Motors headquarters. He goes over to General Motors headquarters to meet, uh, to meet Rick Wagner, the CEO of General Motors. Goes to the, the Wren Center in, in downtown Detroit. And he notices that all the GM executives have little lapel pins, little shiny lapel pins that say 25. And uh, so on the on the way back from from meeting with uh, with Rick Wagner, he's riding back to Ford's headquarters in Dearborn. He asks one of his his executives, he's like, what, "What's I notice all these GM guys are wear, wearing twenty five on their lapel pins? What on their lapels? What what is that all about?" And he says, "Oh, oh, that's because you know their their whole thing is getting back to twenty five percent market share. That, that you know that's the holy grail. You know that they that that." that Losing the fight with the Japanese and other foreign automakers, they they lost their twenty five percent of the market, and they're committed to getting it back. Alan said, "Why?" And they, and they said, "His own executives, because Ford had similar fetish, similarly yeah. fetishized market share, like so, so you know, got to get back to the market share." And he said, "He said why?" And he said, "Like I I don't know you know that much about the auto industry, but you know when I took this job, you know this was probably you know." 
a month or two after he started as CEO Ford coming from Boeing, he said, you know, I don't know much about the auto industry, but I've tried to educate myself in this past few months since I agreed to take over Ford Motor Company. And one of the things that I happen to notice is that one of the most profitable automakers in the world is BMW and they have 2% market share. Exactly. So what's the, what's the 25 all about? Arbitrary statistic that they can measure, they can see and hang a hat on and drive people towards it with no reason of the why behind it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and organizations do this all the time. Yeah, they constantly. do. They do. Uh, you know, 25, 27 years ago, I worked for Ingram Micro. Oh, was, wow. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. You know, nice, nice little 12, $15 billion business or God knows what it is today. But I worked for the Canadian division and we were creeping up to that billion dollar mark. Yeah. And, you know, I was in charge of a, of, a, of a sales team, about 30 people that worked for me. I had one client that was a $100 million client. And we were, you know, we were pushing. We were pushing hard. For six months, it, it was everybody we needed to get it to the billion dollars, this, that, and everything. And I happened to be on a plane when this happened. You know, I happened to be on a plane when it happened. When I got off the plane, I turned on my phone. My phone was going ballistic. It was going absolutely ballistic of everybody across Canada and do it because they had sweatshirts, these gorgeous green hoodie sweatshirts that said billion dollar bound. And they gave them out across Canada at the exact same time when, when they all hit, when they, when the ticker went over a billion dollars and it was, it was that it was creating a thing that says we couldn't have done this without you. And it gave people for the next six months a story to tell mm-hmm. when they went to their customers because it was it was not only the employees, but it says the appreciation of the customers. And they, they built a whole campaign around it to be able to get to the $1.5 billion pretty quick after we made over the, over the billion because all of a sudden, you know, it, it elevated everybody in the organization and we all had a story to tell and it, it brought us all around us together. But it wasn't the billion dollars. It, it was how we, they made people feel. Mm-hmm. That right. everybody from the, the guys in the warehouse to accounting to whoever got yeah. it. And literally, there was somebody waiting at the airport. My assistant was at the airport with a hoodie waiting for me as I got off the plane. What a great example of, of a positive way that companies motivate their employees, create alignment, create that cohesion. But you nailed it. It's it's how people feel. Everything is about how we feel. You wake up in the morning. How do I feel today? How am I going to feel by lunchtime, depending what I do? What course of action am I taking? And when you get that that buzz that everybody was having because of that situation, you can't you can't buy that. It's infectious. It cascades. It goes to people who wouldn't even expect to be infected by it. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And when you see it happening, you can't stop it. It just goes like wildfire across the company and in a great way. And often the nation and whichever client base you're working with. But it Absolutely. also goes back to that, what you talked about earlier, this, this intent-based leadership, giving people clarity of the why, explaining the what, so you're giving them the direction, but do not tell them the how. Because mm-hmm. the minute you tell someone the how, how do they feel? You see it in their eyes. That light goes out, that extinguished, they call it the terminated red eye, just dies. And they go, oh, right. So why do you just do it on my behalf then? Why am I even here? Why are my skills here when you're just mandating what needs to be done? 
how you want it done. And then you're going to monitor me through nonsense metrics to make sure I do it in the way you want it done. And by the way, that won't work. And I can't speak up and tell you that because we're not in a psychologically safe environment and we see the bell curve behaviors. Whereas the people who feel the way we've talked about, what a transformation, what a transformation you get between the two. It has to be, it has to be real. So your example, Ben, you know, at Ingram Micro was, was based on reality. It was based on acknowledging the, the contributions of the team and inspiring them to take the next step. And, and it was a story, like you say, it was a, mm-hmm. it, the, the, the hoodies told a story, the way they did it told a story. And you contrast that, come back to it again with what Musk is do, doing right now at, at, at Twitter. There's no story behind it. There's, there's, no, there's no Apollo 13 moment here where it's like, you know, hey, we've got to save this great institution of Twitter, you know, so let's all sleep at our desks and, and we're all going to give 150% here. No, it's just... This is what I, this is how I demand that you do things. And if you don't meet my expectations, I loved his message to his employees that the, the, after the layoffs, the one, the one that went out was uh, that exceptional, exceptional behavior is, uh, is man or mandatory. Anything less than acceptable and anything less than exceptional performance is unacceptable. And first of all, you haven't even defined what that means, but, but Lots more importantly, more importantly, you haven't told us be why. like me, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 be like Elon. It's, that's exceptional. As long as you act exactly like I do, you're fine. It, as soon as you question me, you're fired. So that means that that every, everybody should just overpromise and underdeliver every yeah, single pretty day. Much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, pretty much. Yeah. But but you know that's the thing. There's no story to it. There's no why. And and he has, and, and, and you know it. You're not going to ever inspire people with that. You're gonna you're gonna get people for either fear or greed or or some other base motive is the only people who are gonna survive that ter- sort of crucible. But let's take it one step further. Mm-hmm. The people that are left are looking over their shoulder. They're right. waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the smart oh, nice. ones, the talented ones, the ones that are actually worth their weight in gold, are out the door. Right. They may not have been fired. But you know what? They're tapping their network, sitting there going, yeah, I'm at Twitter right now. Oh, you're at Twitter right now. Well, why don't you come over to us? Right. And nothing more needs to be said because great talent will always find a home. And you know, and then what are you left with? And then you're left with the people that are the yes people. You're left with the with the yeah. the group think people. You're the, with, with the yes men and women that are just going to sit there and do what you say and not ignore mm-hmm. what you do. And that's how companies go from being an organization worth loving to being a commodity that's you know easily forgotten and soon and and uh, you know and low cost. It's yeah. it, you go from being this exceptional organization that everybody wants to work for and and is making money hand over fist to one where everybody's sitting there going Twitter who, right. Well, and you look at, you know, this has come up a lot too in the whole return to work thing. I mean, look what happened at Goldman Sachs in February with yeah. the, you know. We can't say return to work. We have to say return to office. Yeah, you sorry. Know, return you, to you office. Get this, you get yeah. those semantic things where okay. people go nuts on that. Well, that was the point though, is, yeah. you know, all of a sudden CEO of Goldman says everybody has to come back to the office on Monday or else. Yeah. And half the people showed up for work. Why? Yeah. Because you never, you, there's no why we need to come back to the office. There was no 
what's changed now. It was just, I've decided. Yeah. But the smart one said, no, we're not coming in. Right. Yeah. They didn't. And, and, exactly. and, and he couldn't fire half of Goldman Sachs employees, so they didn't appeal it. You know, and you contrast that to companies like Apple that have been very cautious and circumspect about return to office. And they if you look at what Apple's done, it's all based on explaining the why. Mm -hmm. We recognize that you're doing fine working on your own, but we also are concerned that we're losing some of the great innovation that comes from having people in the same mm -hmm. building collaborating in person. We've decided that we can square the circle by having people come back a couple days a week. We're going to have everybody in the office one day a week. And then your team gets to pick their day when they're going to work together as a team. And, and it's all about, just to Marcus's point, about not that, you know, even the, the pick your own day for your team is giving the team the how rather than dictating to them. Empowerment, engagement, and you're telling a story about why we're doing this. Because it makes sense when you cascade that visual imagery about why we, hey, we've got lots of big buildings. If we leave them all empty, money's going down the drain. If we do this, we can work out which ones we can downsize in the next rent review, et cetera. And people go, oh, yeah, I get that. And then they'll come in and they'll start to make it work for them and the company. So you're working as a cohesive collaboration rather than the he said, she said. So we come in and just do what we've been told. And what we're seeing now is this return to office is that productivity is going down because people are being forced to come back in and therefore they're in, but they're not working at the level they could because they are not feeling it. They're demoralized by this mandate to do what they've been told to do. And therefore you see a loss in productivity and output. What a surprise. But let's take it also from the company's point of view. And, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say this, and I usually get burned for this and people blow me up on social media, but that's okay. With the conversation with Apple, they said, look, we want you to come in, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday or whatever, whatever the days were. And you can pick one other day that is just for your team. And what we're basically saying is, look, we want you to come in three days a week. We don't care which three days a week. You could, if your team wants to come in on Sunday, if that works for you guys, come in on Sunday, yeah. come in on Sunday. We don't care. The doors are open. You know, come do what you think is. And the pushback, well, yeah. we don't want to come in at all. We, yeah. you know, we, we have the right to stay home. And I think that, that employees yeah. need to sit there and go, wait Big a second time. here. We need to meet each other halfway. Right. There's got to yeah. be compromise on both sides. There needs to be listening on both sides. There needs to be valuing people on both sides because no offense, companies have done for the most part, and there are exceptions, a pretty good job of taking care of their employees over the last two and a half or three years. Right. Correct. I mean, I know people that haven't been to the office in three years yeah. and are being supported and the technology is there and the, you know, the, and the leadership's there and the training is there. And, you know, the, they've built extra systems to be able to make sure that their mental health is being taken care of and, you know, built out a more robust, you know, people management system. And they, you know, and all this stuff has cost them money because they're paying rent on these facilities, whether people are there or not. Uh, but they've done it because their people are important to them. And right. I think that the average worker needs to come to the realization that the man 
is not all 100% evil and that their their requests are not 100% unreasonable. Agreed. And we need to be able to talk to each other, not at each other, and listen to each other and say, okay, how do we move forward from here together and build a new system together that's going to work for everybody? Absolutely, I, Ben. I, I, I wrote, a, I wrote a, a column for Forbes on this very issue a few months ago. Yeah. When when that happened, saying exactly what you've just said, which is that, you know, and it was motivated by the backlash that Apple got um, because, you know, it is a two way street. And, and we talked about this on a previous podcast. I wrote about it in that Forbes column. And you you've you've spoken to it eloquently right now, which is that, you know, just as 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 companies owe it to their employees to communicate with them and to and to explain the why and stuff, employees when companies do that, when they make that effort, they have to, they have owe it to their employer to respond in kind and to say, right, I've been told the why here and not have a knee jerk reaction of just, I don't, I don't want to go back to the office. Why? You haven't told a why either. Now you're just yeah. like a spoiled child, you know, kicking your, kicking your exactly feet that. And, and, and fist against the floor. What's yeah, the absolutely. why there? And I think a lot of that has to do with, the inability of people to handle conflict anymore. Yeah. I, I think that we have had teachers and parents and systems that have told us we are right and we can do anything and that we're amazing for so long yeah. that instead of breaking up, you know, instead of having a conversation with somebody that you've been dating for six months and say, listen, this relationship isn't going anywhere. They just mm -hmm. ghost them. People yeah. just decide, Instead of telling an employer on the day that you're supposed to show up for work that you've taken yeah. another job, you just don't you you just don't show up. Right. Uh, you know, there's that level of inability to communicate effectively because people don't want to upset other people and they don't want to be seen as being confrontational. And I think we need to teach people how to be confrontational in a productive way. And yep. we need to get people to the point where they can do have those conversations yep. and have it be about ideas and not about it's, you know, you don't love me anymore. Well, no, this has nothing to do with me loving you. I never did. You know, you work for me. You're, you know, I'm your leader. You work on my team. I respect you. I ex respect the work that you did, but you're not my child. You know, I, you're not part of my family. We're part of the same company that we work together. Mm -hmm. I think this is lacking intellectual curiosity. That's the cause. So much to unpack there. We're going to have to have you back on the show and continue this conversation because that's a whole other conversation that we can get into there. But it's been great talking with you today, Ben. Ben, where can people learn more about your company and what you do? You know what? The best way for people to get in touch with me is through yourbrandmarketing.com. Uh, people can find my podcast. There's over 325 episodes. There's a whole bunch of eBooks there that are there for free. There's no paywall. Just grab them and, and use them. Uh, there's all sorts of information on our consulting links to my LinkedIn page. Everything's there at yourbrandmarketing.com. Just, you know, scope around. You'll find something that looks. And, you know, if, if I can help anybody, I give away 30 minutes of free conversation. The first first 30 minutes are free. And I'm more than happy to have a conversation with anybody if I feel if they can help, if I can help them. All right, Ben, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessments. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.